Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back in from the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz. A busy week here. If you were looking for some semblance of an offseason to catch your breath, on this Penn State football program. Keep looking. A lot happening right now. The Penn State schedule for 2022, the Penn State roster for 2022, both being shaken up in the matter of the last few days. Of course, the big news this week on campus, Sean, your big return to the basketball court. Oh, man. I am glad you slipped that in there. I played half court yesterday, about died. That's the first time since uh, March 2020. Oh, man. It's a uh... It was not 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 great for anybody, but uh, happy to be back out there. Hey, speaking of the court, Lance Tyler, big win for Penn State basketball this week. Anybody catch that? Who they play? They played Rutgers. Okay, <laughs> um, yeah. Going back to the uh, the actual show that people are here to listen to, a lot, a lot of roster movement this week, and I think it's going to continue. Uh, hi, Lance. I think it's going to continue. More transfer portal news probably to come. But the big one yesterday, uh, Noah Kane starting running back for Penn State during his time. Just didn't come back together after that injury. Struggled this season. Uh, just struggled to get going, and it's 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 disappointing. Um, you look at his career, and it's disappointing not in the fact that you can pin it on um, you know lack of development or anything like that, but clearly, you, you as a Penn State fan, you feel like you saw two different players here. You know, after that first drive against Indiana last year, when he went down with the injury, clearly not the same guy that ran all over Iowa and had the the big uh, the Cotton Bowl performance and things like that. Um, there was so much promise there with Noah Kane and and tangible progress. You know, he, he was he was very good as a freshman, and you expected him to take that leap last year. Was not able to do so, and then just a completely different player when he came back in 2021. And I think that that's that's disappointing. And and it's, and it's I don't think it's a uh, you know, appropriate to point fingers anywhere, especially when you when you have an injury, a foot injury like that. Some guys just don't come back, and and Noah, no matter where he ends up, I assume it's probably somewhere warmer, somewhere down south, um, for a final season or the last two seasons. I mean, can he regain that form that he has as a freshman? It's awful tough based on the, the body of work that we've seen since to think that he would be able to do that. Yeah, from purely a media perspective, we will miss Noah Kane around campus. He's a guy that I think always handled himself well, whether the team was coming off of a difficult performance or a strong performance, very even keel. I think that's what has always stood out about Noah Kane. I believe that's the way I described him when he was coming to campus when we were trying to, you know, kind of give the scouting report on these guys. Is you know, 14, 15 years old, the first time I encountered him down in Texas. Think about it, Dallas area running back, 10 offers by the time you're getting early touches as a sophomore. That can get to your head, and that can turn into a, a bit of a monster. You end up at IMG, that can get into your head. You can turn into a different kind of recruit over the course of that process. He stayed the same guy, and I thought he stayed the same here at Penn State, the highs, the lows. And it's a little bit easy to forget in retrospect because of what Journey Brown did in November and in the Cotton Bowl. But there was a moment in time when Penn State was on beaten in October and it kind of looked like Noah Kane was the emerging storyline for this program. And, and, you know, it was so fresh off of Miles Sanders and Saquon Barkley. And we're all looking to kind of find the next guy at running back. And really quickly, Noah Kane, a couple touchdowns in the season opener. 
But I remember he started rumbling in that pit game. It was an ugly matchup against the against the Panthers in September, 17-10 game. Really productive, scored a touchdown, efficient runner. And then that efficiency kept showing up against Purdue, 100 yards plus. And I know you remember fourth quarter against Iowa, they leaned on Noah Kane in that situation, not Sean Clifford. Noah Kane was the player on offense that they leaned on. They couldn't do it with K.J. Hamler because of how that game was being dictated. And ultimately, he got his first start. He got hurt. He was set. I, I predicted last year that, that he would lead the Big Ten in rushing yards when Journey Brown was hurt. I, I was buying into it. And, and I don't want there to be something that the, the Noah Kane who's banged up now is the same Noah Kane who was banged up going into you know 2020 season because of what happened in 2019. That's a different deal. What happened in Indiana and the recovery since then and what happened on the field this year, that's correlated. But I think the guy who was taking the field against the Hoosier, Sean, he was ready for liftoff and it just didn't work out. And since then, it's been health as a storyline. I don't know where he ends up. I don't know how many touches he gets in his next destination and what that means for him. But he's a guy I would I would wish success. Um, but you wonder, you know, can he get that bounce back moment? Because you see it all the time recruiting. It's a hard part of what we do because you see stories play out like this for as many awesome stories that we talk about and guys who make millions of dollars in the NFL you know, we have a lot of these in the back of our mind and, and a lot of impressive young men who've dealt with situations like this. And I know Jay Juan Sider loves this guy to death. And this is a situation that I think it makes sense. But like you said, it's disappointing. And I know it went on for a while, but Noah Kane to me is the kind of athlete and the kind of individual who warrants some extra attention as he makes this, this decision. And you look at you go, going off what you said. You look at his production as a freshman. We we see guys sometimes that don't pan out, and that's just part of college football. But you rarely see a guy that's that's you know shows something that uh, fantastic as a as a true freshman, and then all of a sudden just can't get it back. And obviously the injury there making him a clearly different player. Um, and and it's it's disappointing for him. I'm sure it's disappointing for the program. You think back to the Cotton Bowl and all that momentum that they had running the football and the the, the run the damn ball off season there with with Brown and Kane. You never you never saw either healthy again. And that's that's a gut punch right there. Um, that position it, it's tough, man. We talk about a limited shelf life in the pros, but you got a limited shelf life at any level when you play that position and take that many hits. Um, over and over and over again. So uh, another running back out, you know, wouldn't be surprised to see more movement in that running back room. Um, you know, you look at, they're bringing in two guys in Katron Allen and, and Nick Singleton. We'll see where they're at in a couple of years, but uh, yeah, it's, it's just really disappointing because uh, you know, you, you thought you had something there. Um, I mean, I remember those arguments, not arguments, but I remember those debates that we had. I was yeah. a big Devin Ford guy. You were a big Noah Kane guy. And you know, it really looks like they haven't gotten any, much out of any of either guy, but you did see those flashes uh, from Kane as a freshman. So um, it's tough, it's disappointing, and it's and it's and it's unfortunate because it just feels like uh, another gut punch in terms of development. But I, I mean, what do you what do you do? The guy, you know, is clearly not the same player that he was as a freshman. So um, yeah. you know, on the flip side, that or do you have more to eulogize about? Uh, uh, no? I would, the 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 I think the thing to add on to this conversation is there wasn't a single running back who looked awesome in this backfield this year. How much of this is attributed to what happened with this run game, the offensive style, the inability to get North South for a guy who I think out of really anybody in this backfield, you know, Kevon Lee certainly, but Noah King to me is all about North South. I think that's what was always so impressive about him, the vision and the ability to just go and, for him to have to go lateral a bit this year, especially some short yardage where it wasn't there and he had to make something happen, it was out of his element. But again, who out of this backfield leaves? Where do they land? And how do they look in 2022? Because 
that someone goes somewhere and looks special, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you talk about Devin Ford, Keziah Holmes. These are slippery athletes. These are big play potential guys. It hasn't panned out for them on a consistent basis. We don't know what's going to happen, but um, there was talent, we believed, in that running back room. Perhaps there was not as much as we thought going into 2021, but I'm not necessarily going to just say we were completely wrong and it wasn't a talented group. Well, no, we're never wrong. Um, no, but uh, I, I get what you're saying with the offense because nobody would have looked great behind that offensive line and behind in that in that scheme and the way that they did things this year. Um, but you just look at the difference between Noah Kane before and after. Well, and, Kane clearly, clearly different, different individually, absolutely. And I just and, and, you know how much of it is is kind of a pieces of the puzzle adding up into kind of a disaster. And he was not a guy that went down easy as a freshman. He's a guy that. Uh, unfortunately the wind blew and he, when he fell over this year, I don't know, you know, his balance was just not back and it's just leg drive and things like that. Yeah. Um, it was really, really tough to, to see cause it was just a different guy. So um, our best to Noah, I expect yep. him to land down South. I mean, given the way that the portal is, he's been a productive guy in the past. So it wouldn't be shocking to see him land at a bigger program. I don't know if the expectations will be in an appropriate level if he does that. Cause we've talked about this with the portal before some of those guys that, you know, have, have put up numbers in the past, but maybe, um, you know, found their way out of a, an enviable situation, you know, don't, don't typically pan out. So we'll see, see what happens with Noah. Hopefully he finds the right fit, uh, you know, down, uh, he's from Louisiana has got ties in Texas, got ties in Florida. So I'm sure some schools going to, uh, would like a running back, uh, out of that, uh, that little triangle right there. On the flip side, Joseph Darkwin never played in a game for Penn state. The German defensive tackle went into the portal this week. Um, not a real surprise. I mean, this is a guy that was a complete total flyer for the staff back, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, really, really good athlete. Um, put, actually put out some clips this week on Twitter that were, that were really impressive, but I mean, it's highlight tape and that's what you get for a highlight tape, but, uh, big kid, very athletic, just never caught onto the game, never broke into the rotation. R frankly, was never really close to doing so. This was a couple of year project and it just didn't work out for Penn state. Um, you know, that, that defensive tackle room that we, we joke about all the time in terms of numbers is, is thinning out, you know, uh, at, a, at a, at a, reasonable rate here. Um, you know, you, you had Aeneas Hawkins hanging up, you've got Darkwin, the portal, um, still some numbers out there to, to, to take account for. So, um, you know, I'm not, not a huge surprise by Darkwa, but I, I feel like at this time of year, as the new semester starts, you're not going to see a ton of surprises, like big surprises in the portal. Hopefully knock on wood by the end of this uh, podcast, nothing else happens, but, um, the guys that I would expect to go in really wouldn't be surprising names. Yeah, Darkwa, the a product of Dusseldorf Panther football program, Sean. Interesting stories, I'm sure, from his time on campus. I would be curious to hear them. I remember Terry Smith just talking about the language barrier early on in simple matters, uh, something that they were working on. But he was, you know, one of the few guys who was kind of stuck in central Pennsylvania when the pandemic broke out because he couldn't get home. International travel was not an option. So he, he had a heck of a time on campus, but as you said, never was able to to bridge that gap from the scout team to the varsity squad on the practice field. And when you're in year three, it's not happening. I think the writing was on the wall. We've seen some offers come up for him. Sean, in terms of the, the exits, and and, and you know, I think we're monitoring that closely by the time this podcast breaks, there could be some already stories up online 24-7 about the latest Penn State player to hit the portal. But they added a big piece, what we think will be a big piece of their offensive plan 
in 2022 this week as well. Mitchell Tinsley coming over from Western Kentucky, 1,400-plus receiving yards, 14 touchdowns for the nation's number one offense last year. They got their offensive coordinator, uh, the offensive coordinator job at Texas Tech. They got their quarterback an opportunity to, to put himself in the NFL spot and also break a bunch of NCAA records. And, and you mentioned this, it's insane. Tinsley was the number two leading receiver at Western Kentucky. How does it translate into this Penn State offense? We'll find out. But um, wide receiver to me was an obvious priority in the transfer portal, obvious match for someone out there exactly in Tinsley's shoes. And, and I absolutely love the marriage here. We'll see, you know, starting this spring, how it goes for Stubblefield, Yersich and company. Yeah, I don't know that you're replacing Jahan Dotson with Jahan Dotson, but this is a guy that's been uber productive at a, you know, at a lower level, but, uh, you know, still uh, did it against uh, Michigan State. And I believe it was Indiana in the, in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a, a physical guy. He's not uh, not a guy that needs to grow up. I mean, he's kind of um, how you how, how we viewed Parker Washington coming in, just a, a thicker guy, maybe built a little bit kind of like a running back. And um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a 4-3 guy or anything by that by that stretch, but um, no doubt he can be productive uh, here. He came, you know, with the promise of of, of getting balls thrown his way. Um, I, again, it was really interesting to watch, uh, you know, that offense this year, Western Kentucky, as he was the second leading receiver with 87 catches. I can't imagine covering a team like that because that's pretty insane. Um, but as, as productive and as the he num- was, Sean, you know, the number one guy almost doubled his total. Yeah, it was pretty ridiculous, and uh, you know he's he's moving on to the NFL. Um, but that yeah, it's that uh, what was the Houston Baptist uh, offense yeah. that came in. Um, the quarterback was uh, set the record for yard. I mean, it's just incredible to to see those numbers. Um, so hopefully he can bring some of that uh, this way. Um, we'll see what happens with that uh, with that receiving core coming through with DeAndre Lambert Smith and Parker Washington. Both of those guys seem dead set on uh, breaking out next year. Parker Washington obviously had a, a really good outback bowl. Um, so you've got uh, you've got an opportunity to uh, soften the blow of Jahan Dotson coming through, and we'll see what happens in the in the lower reaches of that uh, that depth chart in terms of development to see who can round out and be those two deep guys. You're no longer looking at Cam Sullivan Brown and Daniel George. You're looking for guys like Trey Trey Wallace to step up, Liam Clifford, um, some of those other guys, some of those freshmen that could come in and potentially play as well. So um, a lot to like going on there. It's good to get him on in the boat, and it's the only uh, the only commitment for Penn State in the portal so far. Yeah, the win-loss column uh, hasn't been kind to Penn State the last couple of years, but that wide receiver room is a spot that has developed in a really positive direction under Taylor Stubblefield's leadership. You see it on the field, the production. Uh, I think this is a big pickup for them. And just a few more qualifications here. Nine catches for 173 yards and two touchdowns in the conference USA championship game. Uh, you mentioned he played Michigan State, had 127 yards on, on seven catches in that matchup. He went for nine-plus catches in the last four conference games. So – He's coming in hot. We'll, we'll see if he can keep that momentum going. And as you said, uh, some, some second-year players, some rookies that are going to be vying for spots in that rotation. Um, Sean, how much pressure is on Penn State right now to capitalize on the transfer portal? I know our message boards, plenty of people can see what's happening across the Power 5 landscape and teams that are trying to compete for conference championships at this level are, are making splashy moves. This is a nice pickup, like we said. It wasn't a splashy move, and, and thus far it's the only one. The time frame's tight here. What what do we think about this next week or so and, and how it could impact the roster? You know, I think it's probably more uh, for the end of the spring now. You, you look at a guy like Hunter Norzad at Cornell. Um, they were in on Ryan Sabota, who committed to, to UCF. UCF is going out and grabbing. They're kind of doing the Michigan State thing where they're grabbing every transfer that they can possibly can. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it would be a surprise to see somebody brought in this week. I know classes just start and there's a late, dry, or a late ad period. 
um, or something of that nature. Um, but uh, yeah, that's the, I think the, the pressure is there on the offensive line. No doubt about it. They'd like to get, uh, of course, Norzad, who's coming in for an official visit on January 22nd. Um, he's got five visits set up now. Um, uh, but they'd also like to get a tackle, get some more competition in that room and, and sort of improve your tackle position, you know, on the roster. And that's, that's something everybody would like to do. You look at Rutgers this week, uh, they, they've taken four, uh, transfer offensive linemen. So, uh, I got to make sure you got the right guy and, and we'll see how that, that rebuild goes over there. Um, but yeah, you've got, uh, I think there's pressure in the offensive line there. Um, you also look at uh, linebacker. I'll be interested to see, you know, we saw, um, I, w- I don't want to say mass exodus because that would me- mess this th- this thing up, but we saw a bunch of guys from Alabama, a bunch of guys from Georgia going to the portal. It'll be interesting to see where Penn State's evaluations come on them. Um, there was a TCU defensive end. He looks like he's going to Texas. Um, I don't I don't even think it's, I'll bother looking his name uh, up right here because I think he's going to Texas fairly soon. Still looking at an edge rusher, still looking at a linebacker. And, you know, it might be the point where you don't get one of those guys in for spring practice. Again, PJ Must for returning. Adiza Isaac back on the field. There are some reinforcements there from internally. But, yeah, you need to address some spots there defensively. Sean, when is there at this point, if, if, if Tinsley is all you're working with on spring ball in terms of uh, transfer additions, quickly going back to who they brought in last January, uh, who were on campus for winter workouts, who were on campus for spring ball, getting acclimated, getting those practices, Arnold Ebicati, Derek Tangelo, uh, John Dixon, John Lovett. I know John Lovett overall underwhelmed in, in, in many ways. There's no way around that. Uh, John Dixon, though, I mean, I th- they thought he was emerging as a cornerback that this team was, was relying on in some key moments. I think he's going to play a bigger role next year. Derek Tangelo and Arnold Ebicate started every game for you on the defensive front, and, and one of those guys was the first-team All-Big Ten selection. It, are you surprised slash disappointed that Penn State hasn't brought more guys on board for the semester and – in, in, in conjunction with that, Manny Diaz, are you surprised there wasn't some kind of quick momentum where maybe you capitalize on a guy or two with history with Diaz? Not particularly. On the Diaz part, not particularly. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, he's he's kind of cutting bait and going from uh, from a head coaching job at Miami. Uh, I know Nestor Savara was uh, was in the port or is still in the portal, um, but I don't know that that's, that that's a fit. And you look at what Penn State has done, you look at the numbers game that they have to work to play with, and, and, and they're tight right now. And I don't think that that's holding them up from taking more a ton more guys, but, you know, it's going to make you a little bit more selective. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at my list here, and you probably got, what, four – uh, four or five offers there in the portal uh, kid from uh, down South was it Louisiana, the receiver this week claimed an offer. I don't count that as an offer in my book in terms of talking from talking to people. Um, but you're still looking at the offensive line and there just hasn't been a ton out there. Uh, linebacker has actually been even worse. Um, to be honest with you, look at all the linebackers that are out there. They wanted that UNLV kid that's, uh, that's going to, to Michigan state. And since then, not a ton of guys have popped on, on that. And, and that's reflected in, in, in what uh, guys have, or what, what, big schools have taken. I mean, you're, you're comparing yourself to big schools. If you're Penn state, you're not comparing yourself to um, other programs. that are kind of taking, you know, flyers on guys and hoping that they can pan out. Penn state hopes they can get a sure thing. And that's that that's so far the opportunity really has not presented itself, but I, I thought we'd see one or two more, to be honest with you, um, you know, looking at what was out there, um, you know, at, at certain positions, you know, there's a lot of, um, 
a lot of athlete type guys, you know, it's just uh, not sure if they fit, you know, does this guy fit as a Sam? Does this guy fit as a will? Does this guy fit as an edge rusher? Or is he a, you know, a guy that can play the five technique? I think there's a lot of questions about where these guys fit. Um, the, the, the kid that went in from Tennessee, uh, Baron, I believe his last name was, that's a kid they wanted. And he went right back to Tennessee. I believe he got an NIL deal. Um, with the volunteers there. So that, that, that one kind of stung a little bit, but uh, yeah, other than that, not to, not really loving what's out there, I guess is, is probably the way to look at it. And you know, yeah, that's in the eye of the, the eye of the beholder right there. There's a couple of things that James Franklin has recently and kind of repeatedly referenced about trying to stay at the forefront of where college football is. It's the NIL. And we're seeing that now take shape in, in the form of the transfer portal and why guys are considering certain destinations and why they are ultimately going to certain colleges, especially like the case of a lot of the Penn state guys this year, you're there for a matter of nine, 10 months, maybe even shorter than that. How important then is that NIL as part of the package? And then additionally, you know, Franklin has talked about it. There is a sense that plenty of these top big fish that you might want, they got a plan already. They, they enter the portal with a plan and then they execute it. You may call that tampering at the professional sports level. I, I don't know if we're calling it that yet here at, at, at the transfer portal level, but it, it, there's a lot to go through. And, and Penn State, after I just think such a frenzy uh, of movement last year for them, a little surprising to see it only being one guy as things stand right now for this semester and, and, and resulting in those spring practices, of course. Yeah, I'm looking um, at uh, we actually have transfer uh, transfer portal team rankings here. Florida State yeah. has just done a ton. I, I'm curious to see how that one pans out um, in the Big Ten. Indiana has brought in a couple of guys. Michigan State, of course, is always going to bring in a couple of guys. Nebraska as well. Um, so you're looking at schools that you know have have either had success with the transfer portal or are looking to fill some major gaps right there. So uh, two of two two guys incoming for Ohio State, one for Michigan. So you're kind of if you're looking at who you think you stack up with in the conference, you're kind of right on par with where uh, where those guys are right now. I'm sort of just kind of scrolling along here. Except what, for in the win column, which is why you may think you may want to be a little bit more active or why, at least perceptively, people may be frustrated that they don't see yeah. Penn State acquiring talent now instead of, like you say, he'll be here in May. And how does that maybe set them back, especially if it's a one-year rental kind of situation? I hate to refer it that way, but kind of feels that way in, in some cases – if you get on campus in May, how does that impact your ability to contribute in September, especially when we're talking about playing catch up from a strength and weight conditioning situation? Yeah, no, that makes sense. But I mean, you look at the top 10, it's Florida State, who has been down for a while. Georgia Tech's in a rebuild. Ole Miss was uh, was actually pretty good this year. Um, they've got some holes as well. And I'm curious to see what happens to that coaching staff. Indiana, USF, Arizona, Florida, Michigan State, Nebraska, and then Alabama, um, which is Alabama is a really interesting case because mm -hmm. that's going to be a destination for somebody that goes into the portal nowhere, knowing where they go. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, really, really good running back from Georgia Tech is going to go there and, and you know, uh, push to start right away. And then Eli Ricks was a five star kid is probably still a five star transfer kid. So um, at, you're not looking at Alabama if you're Penn State to, to, to make that move. It's just uh, it's an interesting place. I mean, there's there's a lot of apples to oranges in the portal just uh, at every level. When you're talking about evaluations, when you're talking about offers, um, Mike Farrell made a point, uh, you know, the other day that was like schools are are starting to turn transfer re recruiting into regular recruiting where they're just throwing out offers to get people interested. And I think that's an interesting uh, way to go about it. And I think that's Ooh, an interesting that's way to, 
What's that? That's that's, that, that's dangerous because you're talking about guys who are potentially in very desperate situations. Just going to flip the switch. They got to figure out where they're trying to move out of a dorm or a campus apartment. They may not have a home base back home. There may be the bad influence back. You don't know. So mm-hmm. for them to be dangling and for them to get an offer instead of a legit offer, that's that's really problematic, I think. And I hope that doesn't become a trend. But I'm sure that, that part of college football is always going to find a way to surface, isn't it? It always yep. is. We're heading there. I mean, that's kind of where it's at. It's just uh, like I said, I've, I've, I think we've seen, what, four or five scholarship offers for Penn State, uh, Norzad with uh, Swoboda, the, the offensive tackle, uh, the Steen kid, uh, the, the offensive tackle Steen from from Vanderbilt is, I think, is a guy that I believe they're, they're moving on right now as we speak. And of course, Mitchell Tinsley, um, linebacker from, from UNLV, who I'm actually glad did not come here because I cannot remember his name. I keep saying this over and over. I think this is like the third episode. I've just called him the UNLV kid. So I apologize to him. He's probably gonna be a really good player at Michigan State. I just I just remind you next uh, November, right? When he yeah. <laughs> when he visits Beaver Stadium, he'll point to the to the press box and, and say that one's for you, Sean Fitz. Perfect. Sean, let's turn- <laughs> sorry, go ahead. <laughs> but we, yeah, we all know who to blame now. Sean, let's turn our attention to recruiting where optimism always uh reigns supreme here. And and junior days are back, and that's great because we've been missing them for a while now on the college football calendar because of the COVID requirements and and the sanctions. Been a long time since you've had these kind of events. I think it's the 2020 recruiting class that had a full real year uh, at junior to senior year uh, where they had the recruiting experience. So that's like Parker Washington's class. Been a long time. Big day for Penn State, man. And, and I would think here, I wrote it down, biggest in-person recruiting event for the Nittany Lions since the whiteout. Yeah, that that seems right. Um, you know, you look at uh, official visit or the the big the big visit weekend before signing day, but that's mostly commit committed guys anyway. Um, yeah, we haven't had a junior day since 2020. I'm looking forward to it. The list is uh, actually a pretty good one. It's going to be cold, and that's uh, <laughs> that's something to look at because I had a couple of Florida boys coming up. Um, so there's there's a lot to like. Um, at this visit list, uh, check it out on the site lines247.com. Headlining Samson Okanlola. Uh, you might remember that last name because of your uh, your your brother or, or his excuse me his brother uh, who signed with Pitt. Uh, and I get those guys mixed up all the time. Samuel is his older brother signed with Pitt, but Samson a little bit more highly regarded. Number thirty six nationally by the twenty four seven Sports Composite. Number three offensive tackle. Um, Penn State uh, hoping to build that continue to build that offensive line. And as we know. They need tackles and they'd like tackles. And this kid uh, is a good looking tackle. Um, you know, the, I think Phil, Phil Troutwine is going to be busy this weekend. A guy that I love, Evan Link, uh, is also an offensive tackle from Gonzaga down in Washington, D.C. Um, he's uh, he's a guy that we've been talking about for a long time. Maybe maybe a guy that doesn't do the recruiting thing. Maybe a guy that doesn't really say a ton, um, you know, do a ton of interviews and things like that. Quiet kid. Um, but. I think he's a really good offensive tackle, and I think he play at this level um, at, at offensive tackle. So, um, you know, for those that have been have been stumping for tackles, it's going to be a busy week in the offensive line room. Amir Herring, Alan True reported the other night that he'll be in. Uh, Sam Pendleton from from uh, North Carolina, probably more of an interior guy, um, but he he will be up um, for his second visit. Robert Sweeney from from Dallas, Texas, will be up. He came for a game last year, so um, Phil Troutline is going to be busy this weekend. And oh, I think people think, yeah, right in the middle. I thought you had like eight more offensive linemen at least to get through. Um, yeah, it sounds like he will be busy. And and I think that you know it's the other thing that's notable to me here, Manny Diaz. This is his debut in this kind of setting with Penn State. He's also taking a step back from being a head coach. That's not always easy. So it's his first interaction 
uh, where you're not in in command of the situation and dictating terms on a recruiting event. So I'm curious because Brent Pride, you know, beyond the the report that they had on the field and 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 being with the staff for so long, you also know what to anticipate from a guy, and you know how to play off of each other in a recruiting setting. You know, they're going to face that social structure for the first time together, and and I think that's notable. And I think Manny Diaz is well equipped to excel here and and, and get them some recruits especially now that he gets to put the CEO stuff aside. Um, but you got to start here. And, and I know he's done it a lot virtually. And, and there were some Florida recruits who showed up to watch this team practice. But this is a different setting. And, and it's one of those firsts for him as Penn State defensive coordinator. First time he'll get to see Tamir Robinson in person, not a linebacker from Pittsburgh, Brashear, who, if you listen, you know we're a big fan of on this podcast, can probably play a different couple, a couple different positions uh, at the next level. Unfortunately, tore his knee up this year, um, so it took a step back uh, from, from that perspective. But, uh, yeah, it's a big weekend. He was a big fan of Brent Pry, um, very close with Terry Smith, also very close with Lamont Payne, uh, the cornerback commit for Penn State, who will also be here this weekend. So, Get him a, get a chance to get him back on campus and and make that first impression. I mean, you think about how um, impressionable 16, 17, 18 year old kids are. You've had that break where you you may have gone and saw games in the you know in the fall. Maybe took a visit in December, although not not a ton of that going around. Um, but then you get back out and you have an opportunity to make a first impression um, in January. So I think that Manny Diaz and the entire staff, um, you know, will get a chance to do so with Tamir Robinson, very important uh, prospect on the board for Penn State. I think probably the most interesting names, excuse me, uh, the most inter interesting names, if you look on here, John Walker and Derek LeBlanc, two guys that actually attended that practice that you talked about uh, down in Florida before the Outback Bowl, a couple of kids from the Orlando area um, that will be up and it will man, it's going to be like 20 degrees on Saturday. So hope these guys bring a jacket because they're, they're, they're going to be cold, but uh, this is one where, you know, Penn state has been working on both those guys for a while and to get them up this soon in the process kind of sets the table for a potential official visit in the summer when it's a little bit warmer. Um, but Walker is number 99 by the 24 seven sports composite number 17 defensive lineman nationally. LeBlanc is number 84 by the composite number 13 defensive line national defensive lineman nationally. And I believe we have him way higher on 24 seven sports. Yeah. Number 13 overall in the country. Number four defensive lineman in the country, Alabama, Clemson, Florida, Georgia, Miami, Penn state in there as well. Ohio state has a crystal ball pick. Um, so this is, this is a kid that a lot of people are after um, six foot four, 250 pounds, going to be an interior guy at the next level. Both these guys are interior guys at the next level. Um, but yeah, you, 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 I mean, it, other than it being cold, you can't ask for getting much more than getting two top 100 Florida kids up for a January visit. And for the first time since 2019, we think, we, we expect, there's going to actually be this full window of spring official visits. So when you get guys up here long distance, there, there's not a game to attract them between now and then. This is where you, you you make the case, you lay the groundwork and say, you like what you saw during that day on campus? Come back for an official visit weekend. We're going to we're gonna really ramp it up. You're going to get to know everybody here. You're going to feel like family. Come back in May. Come back in April. Bring mom and dad. Bring everybody. This is where you got to lay that groundwork. And, and so we'll see how they come uh, come out of this. We'll, we'll have those conversations. We, we know that our network, uh, Brian Doan, Alan True, everybody, Steve Wolfong is going to do their diligence. Sean Fitz, of course, right here. Uh, I do my part where needed because you guys are all over everything. Uh, but, Sean, when it comes to new offers, that's the other thing you're kind of watching for. It's not all just the, the, the already targeted guys. There's going to be some new offers coming out of this. Um, and that's something you always look for at their junior day event as well. 
Yeah, and and I don't know that there's anybody that I point to that that say or says that he's going to be walking away with an offer. But you look at those positions that we've talked about. Tackle is a big need, and besides the guys that we mentioned that have scholarship offers, Anwar O'Neill, uh, 260 pound tackle from Middletown, Delaware. He's got some offers. Ryan Coretta from Columbus, Ohio, six five three ten. He's got some offers. So, I mean, with with tackle, I mean. Those guys walk into the room, you notice them, you get some you know, some arm measurements and some hand measurements and, and things like that. Um, and maybe all of a sudden you fall in love with a, with an offensive tackle and offer. So um, I know there's two, two linemen committed in the offensive line class in 2023, but still, anytime you can find an offensive tackle that you think can play at this level, you got to give them a chance. I mean, you look at, um, you know, a couple of years ago, they, you know, Bryce Effner came out of nowhere, earned a scholarship offer. You know, there, there, there are guys that have popped up with similar profiles to guys like Coretta and O'Neal um, that just kind of come out of nowhere and and they all of a sudden get in the. I, I remember looking at uh, or, or working at Nike camp years ago, and and Malcolm Bunch, who was from Delaware, walked into the room and everybody just turned around and looked. And, and when you're six six and you've got these long arms that that, that they go on forever. People notice you, and and college coaches seem to fall in love with that stuff. Uh, we we do sometimes when we rate these kids as well, but uh, it's it's tough to uh, it's tough to 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 avoid uh, being or uh, how do I say this? It's tough to. I don't know, man. I I just I, I lost my train of thought in the middle of that. It's it, it's tough to go unnoticed when you're that size. Yeah, no. There's something to be said for just standing in front of a guy. Letting the player, letting the coaches size you up a little bit, it can go a long way. And, and of course, later on, you try to get the verified test. You try to get the guy in a competitive situation, all those different things. But yeah, this is all, you know, you want to check certain things off as you go down that list and work toward offers, work toward verifying those offers. Um, and Sean, we made it this far. This is how busy things have been in January without getting to the fact that Penn State's Big Ten schedule has been like obliterated and then put back together. Uh, hope no one booked anything. And, and I, my heart goes out to those who made major investments for the first weekend of October, thinking Ohio State was coming to town and the White House going to happen. Front, yeah. <laughs> hope you're ready to watch the Northwestern Wildcats. Um, but, uh, Sean, this was like wild. Uh, and, and uh, you know, this is the explanation here is they are trying to make up for what happened in 2020, where the schedule really was obliterated. Half the teams played half games. Um, they had to, you know, make right some wrongs, I guess, with the schedule. Even the Big Ten network analysts gave up trying to explain what exactly was done here. But main thing here, Illinois is off the schedule. Northwestern's on the schedule. And then I'll get into the rest of it. But September stays the same at Purdue, Ohio, Auburn, and Central Michigan. I know people said, all right, every game Saturday. That is the other thing. The Big Ten throws that nice little disclaimer at the end. Subject to change, Thursday and Friday games are going to happen. We'll let you know. Yeah, would would not be shocked to see Penn State open the season um, on uh, against Purdue on a Thursday night. Uh, that's certainly new new ground for Penn State, uh, that especially that early in the season. Um, but yeah, you, you really couldn't do too much with uh, with September because the out of conference games. It's when you get into October, and it's basically with the Big Ten, it's basically full bore into the conference schedule. I think it's a little bit uh, of a softer landing for Penn State. You know, you've got that Auburn game early in the season. Um, you know, you get uh, get through Northwestern, then you have a bye week, which, by the way, the same weekend as Great American Beer Festival in Denver, which is the first thing that popped out of uh, popped off the schedule to me. Then you hold go on, into the grind. Was that the was that the first bye week or the second bye week? Oh, that's the first. That is the first bye week, October eighth, um, that weekend. Um, but uh, no, then you get into the grinder. You go to Michigan. You play a tricky game against Minnesota, who's always tough. And then you've got uh, Ohio State at home. 
for the whiteout, presumably the whiteout on Halloween weekend, which should should be a good time. But that's a that's your that's your 2022 season in a nutshell, right there. Is that three game stretch? So that'll be interesting to see how that goes. Then you go to Indiana. You've got uh, Maryland, Rutgers, and Michigan State, as it should be the land grant trophy, finishing things off uh, on Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, this again. Hope you didn't make Thanksgiving weekend plans correlated with Penn State, or make bye week plans correlated with Penn State because you're out of luck and you got to change your itinerary. I think what what stands out to me here, and by the way, if you weren't paying attention, Auburn lost their last five games of the season. They ended up finishing six and seven. Bo Nix hit the transfer portal. They didn't stay in the top 25 either uh, by any stretch of the imagination. They're the week two opponent. It's a rare SEC trip down there. Central Michigan's a bit of an interesting matchup out of the two, out of the MAC. Ohio, quite frankly, should be one that you kind of put away in the first half. Central Michigan, they were a nine-win team. Jig McElwain's their coach. Maybe maybe that's a different scenario. Uh, but you come out of that, you have Northwestern, and, and then things get interesting. I think putting Minnesota in between – that Michigan game, that trip up to Ann Arbor, and then the, the game against Columbus, which we assume will be the whiteout against Ohio State, that to me feels like it's a swing game for the season, Sean, because first off, a loss is probably going to mean you got egg on your face because Kirk Chiraca and Tanner Morgan came into your house and put up some points, and, and, and your guys didn't do enough to match that. But it's also potentially going to set the stage for a, a really rough three-game losing streak, and you got no bye week to escape to. That to me, Minnesota moving up. I already thought it was a really intriguing game late in the season for Penn State. Now to me, it, it could really swing what direction this program heads in 2022, in my opinion. No, I mean, I don't think that's an opinion at all. I mean, this is a key game uh, for Penn State. You look at, uh, you know, when they've, they've had, they've come off of buys and they haven't been all that successful lately coming off of buys. The problem with Penn State seasons lately is, is they snowball and you go to Michigan, which will not be easy. I know they've got some roster turnover and potentially some coaching turnover as well. Um, but, yeah, you can't let that snowball and, and find yourself going into, a, you know, a, a whiteout weekend against Ohio State where you don't have much juice. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you all the way. I don't think there's anybody looking at this schedule that wouldn't point out Minnesota as I don't want to call it a trap game, but I, a, as a potential uh, stumbling block for Penn State and a, and a very, very big part of that schedule right in the middle. Here's and here's the other thing. If you if you get out of October and maybe you exceed expectations, waiting for you at the finish line in November is a trip to Indiana, who who did not win a Big Ten game last year, home against Maryland, and then at Rutgers. You got to finish against Michigan State, but that uh, you know that's kind of the, the the light at the end of the tunnel. The, when you're looking at how October sets up, that November is a, is a nice landing for you. And if you can come out of that uh, in, in a better spot than maybe we expect now here in January 2022. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And, of course, the, the thing that hangs over a lot of the conversation, Sean, is how does the schedule maybe impact the quarterback decision? And I, I think it certainly would push the things in favor of Sean Clifford opening on the road against a Big Ten opponent uh, that won nine games this this past season, by the way, um, and, and then having a trip down to the SEC you know, just around the corner after that. I know you could probably look to, to get another quarterback some reps against Ohio. You'd hope to be able to do that. But in terms of actually trying a guy out against live bullets in a contentious situation, I, if, if Sean Clifford's a starting quarterback week one, I'd imagine there's going to be a sizable leash because of that stretch that, that they encounter. Yeah, I think it's an interesting setup because you've got those first five games, which, you know, two on the road that that are, you know, going to be tough games. And then 
Um, you know, it's Ohio, Central Michigan, Northwestern, not, not Murderer's Row or anything like that. So gives you an opportunity to get through with some experienced guys. Then you have that off week and go to Michigan. I, I, I don't know how it's going to set up, but it gives you a chance to uh, to build some things up and go from there. But as we saw this year, you can't take any any of those games for granted. I mean, we were, we were not talking about Illinois last year in the same light, even that we're talking about Minnesota this year. So um, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how this one plays out. But two of your first three games on the road, I know that 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 hasn't changed. Um, but uh, that's still something with, with you would like to lean into experience there. Um, uh, the interesting thing to me here, no Iowa. I mean, I know they weren't on the schedule to begin with, but you figured <laughs> if schedule changes were coming, they were going to play Iowa for the 40th year in a row or whatever it is. So um, hopefully hopefully the Hawkeyes are, are still put in the basement and uh, not uh, not coming out on that schedule anytime soon. But yeah, I, I tend to not get too worked up over schedules, but I, I do I do think this is a bit softer of a, of, of a landing spot for Penn State than it was previously with, with front-loading Ohio State and Michigan and, and doing all that stuff. You get a little bit more time to breathe here. How often in the last couple of years, Sean, has the Big Ten issued some kind of statement or some kind of press conference and you're, and tr- and you're just like, what are you trying to feed me here? They, 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 their rationale for eliminating some of these crossover games, including the Illinois versus Penn State matchup, was avoiding that third consecutive crossover. So I, I just went to double check. Penn State and Iowa, who don't share a division in the Big Ten, Played every single season between 2016 and 2021. Yeah. Well, I I think they just don't want to see that Iowa game again. (laughs) Everybody's scarred from that. So I'm not, not really surprised there. And, and I will say this, uh, you know, I I don't know how this is going to, you know, the 2023 schedule, if that's going to change or anything like that, but Penn state, once again, opening on the road in 2022 and also set to open at Illinois in the big 10 on September 16th, 2023. So Penn state, I mean, say what you want. I'm not a conspiracy conspiracy theorist but penn state just keeps getting sent on the road to start over and over and over again it's pretty it's pretty crazy once you think about it yeah mark brennan passed along some pretty interesting information he said this makes 21 of 30 years for penn state in the big 10 where their first game in the conference is away from home and and now illinois next year that's four consecutive years where the first game penn state plays it's not ball state it's not idaho it's a big 10 opponent on the road yeah, not, not an easy way to come out of training camp, especially in a year when you have a lot of questions, but no one cares. No one's no one wants to hear excuses and get point, to work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Sean, that's going to, I think, wrap up a lot of the conversation. I did want to note here, um, 24-7 Sports taking a positive view at Penn State coming off of, of a season in which they lost six of the final eight after that 5-0 start, putting them that number 20 uh, based on the voting among some of our national analysts that's tied with Kentucky. Uh, Penn State at number 20, Alabama at number one, Ohio State two, Georgia three, Texas A&M four, Notre Dame five, uh, out of the Big Ten, OSU, as I said, number two, number seven, Michigan, number nine, Michigan State, number 16, Iowa. Rosters aren't even complete yet. The transfer portal is crazy, but it's those way too early rankings. I'm a company man. That's where Penn State sits. Inside the rankings are better than outside the rankings, any way you look at it. No doubt. I mean, there's a lot to discuss before next season, but, uh, you know, Penn State can be a top 25 team. You've got some development to do, especially up front on both sides of the ball. Um, but, yeah, that's that's pretty much where I would expect them to, to open in that 20 to 25 range. Will Levis and the, and the Wildcats are right there, shoulder to shoulder. Got to love that. Uh, five-star mailback time. Let's jump right into it, Sean. And it takes us back to the transfer portal, which I think we'll be talking about next episode as well. One year later. How do we evaluate the large transfer class that Penn State brought in last season? 
Uh, it's a tough question because it was the very top. You got Arnold Ebicati, who was an All-Big Ten guy, going to be a draft pick, exactly what you wanted out of that. You've got Tangelo in there as well. Um, I, I think when you take a look at bringing in transfers, uh, it's, it's very important to know that, uh, that not all of them are going to hit, but if they hit big in the way that, that Ebicati did, that's a, that's a really, really successful job. Um, so you've got those two guys, those two defensive linemen at the front, kind of in the middle. You got Eric Wilson, and I know we've kind of picked apart Eric Wilson's uh, performance here in the podcast uh, this season, but he did still start eleven games. I think that's a really good, um, you know, uh, indication of not only how how dire that need was, um, but also that you know he was he was solid enough in that in that role and probably fell short of expectations being what he was out of Harvard. Um, but when he arrived on campus, that's, you, you got what you got. You got 11 games uh, started out of him. Um, John Dixon, I think, is on on you know the, the, the track for what they laid for him. Of course, he was not going to come in and supplant Joey Porter Jr. or Tariq Castro Fields. So I think he, you know that's a long-term play. Uh, love it. Was disappointed by love it. No, no doubt about it. Just looking at what he, what we thought he could bring to the table as a potential home run guy, he was not that guy. And not only was he not that guy in terms of you know running behind that offensive line, that argument that you made for Noah Kane earlier, but dropping passes, things like that. I mean, it's just well, it just didn't work for him. And you know, you just got to say sometimes it's just it's just not working for both parties. Um, AJ Litton. They got some good out of AJ Litton. Now, I don't know how long he's going to be around, but you've got uh, you got a guy that was one of your gunners who did not play in the Outback Bowl, um, but was one of your gunners. And I thought he did a really good job. He got some penalties early in the season that were uh, was at the Wisconsin game uh, right off the bat where he was he was flagged for the kick catch interference, I believe. Yeah, um, and it was it was bang bang kind of deal. It was I thought it was a good play, um, but yeah. yeah, you you got what you what you wanted out of him from a special teams perspective. Uh, I don't think anybody, at least on this site or this podcast, projected him to be a corner, projected him to be a safety that that played legitimate minutes. He got there um, late, right? I mean, he was a, he got in July. Or early, he didn't get there till summer. He got there so, in August, I, mean, was, I believe it was. Yeah, and he was so, a year. Uh, he was a year out of football. There was a lot going against him. I think. Yeah, for him to play in in pretty much every game in the regular season, you know, and, and do what he did on special teams, I think that's a win. Um, now it, it depends how he pans out or if he pans out for Penn State to to see right. the long term. But you know, you need guys like that, and I think he certainly performed a role in a tough tough position because being a gunner is not easy. Um, but uh, you've got two guys at the top in AK and Tangelo. You've got a guy in the middle, um, it uh, in, in Eric Wilson. And then, you know, you didn't really get anything out of Lovett that you thought you could have gotten uh, from there. You're missing one. Dick, Dixon's a long-term play. Yeah, Dixon's a long-term play. And then, you know, Litton, I think you got something out of that. So, um, you know, it's it's a mixed bag, not going to lie. Yeah. I mean, you not not all those guys hit. But when you hit as well as you did with Arnold Ebicati at a premium position like that, it tends to outweigh the bad that you got uh, with with a guy like Lovett at a position like running back. Yeah, I, Dixon, I, I think will ultimately prove to be his value to, to this group. So I think that it, you're going to see a better kind of this group in a better light long-term. Um, I think because they got such a rock star with AK, uh, it, it kind of, it cancels out some things. I, I do think with Lovett, it wasn't just that he was disappointing individually. Felt like that was another thing that was working against the running back situation, the ground games. It was a little bit of a disruptive presence at times. It was a momentum snapper. It was, I, I don't know what to say. That's just kind of what happened a lot. When he was involved in the field, especially in some key moments in Big Ten play, whose fault that was, I don't know, but it was pretty glaring. Um, but yeah, moving forward, we'll see how many guys we have to evaluate. It was a big group last year. Again, I, I thought it was good enough to, to send Penn State sprinting back to find some more players. But as you said, you got to find the right fit. 
can't find the force and and we'll see who shows up maybe in may um or maybe if someone can come come on late here and get tacked on to, to the winner group but uh time is of the essence for that you can send your five-star mailback question to us on apple Podcasts. Uh, drop that along with your five-star rating and review questions on recruiting the football program all season stuff whatever uh we'll get to it here eventually uh, we appreciate everyone for for throwing that our way sean back to the court today no, no, dude. I got to rest for a week at least. Uh, we'll get uh, we'll get some other exercise in today, but uh, we'll we'll hold off on on pulling those jumpers today. There you go. Well, big recruiting weekend coming up. Uh, follow all of that latest breaking news from that on Lions twenty four seven reaction uh, to a big one here in Happy Valley on Saturday. Uh, stay with us here at Lions twenty four seven podcast. New episodes coming your way next week. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks to our producer Lance Glenn. We'll talk to you real soon. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.